Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 71 of the Adventures in Devising podcast. In today's episode, our special guests are Christy Yoshikawa from Kapolani Community College and Thomas Shelley from Oregon State University. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Advising Podcast. Now, let's get to episode 71. Welcome back to the podcast. We're on the road to episode 75 and the bittersweet ending of the current run of the Adventures in Advising podcast. Today is episode 71 and we have an exciting episode for you today. But first, if you're listening to this on November 14th or 15th, don't forget to submit your conference proposal for one of the Nakata region conferences. If you've submitted already, well done. Also, registration is open as well for the region conferences, so make sure you get registered by the early registration deadline. Check the show notes for the link. All right, now let's get to our first interview with Christy Yoshikawa. All right, up next on the podcast is Christy Yoshikawa from Kapiolani Community College. Christy is a nursing counselor at the college with the goal to support, unify, celebrate, and advocate for students in the areas of academic advising, career exploration, and mental health. Christy earned her BA from University of Hawaii at Manoa and Master's in Psychology from Chaminade University. While originally having the intention of working with children and teens, Christy ultimately was drawn to the community college environment. Christy has served as a trio counselor, health science and EMS counselor, and now as a nursing counselor. Christy also serves on the Nakata Region 9 Steering Committee as the Hawaii Liaison, which also includes Guam, American Samoa, and the Northern Mariana Islands. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. You know, I know we were uh, chatting about being on the podcast. We got to, you know, see each other at in Portland and as part of the Region 9 Steering Committee. So it's great to have you and get to chat with you a little bit more. Because uh, even though we've been on the steering committee, I think we're going to find out more about you um, than I've found out over the last couple of years, you know, because it's something about being in meetings and you can only talk so much in those meetings. So uh, first question we usually throw out is, you know, tell us about your path, your journey into higher ed and academic advising. Well, yeah, thank you again for that awesome intro. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting is new to me, so I have to apologize if I stumble. Um, But basically how I got started in my higher education um, career, I worked at Kapiolani Community College as an undergraduate, um, you know, working on my, they called it a home ec degree, but it's a human development and family studies bachelor's, I received a bachelor's of arts. Um, During that time in my undergraduate, I did uh, do my internship or my practicum at a middle school. It's called Central Middle School here on Oahu. Uh, Predominantly, it's a Title III um, school, so there's a lot of housing kids that um, attend that um, that middle school, and so it was a great experience, a learning experience. I got to work with with the counselors, the school counselors there, and that's what kind of drove my um, interest into school counseling. Um, currently on Oahu, Chaminade University is only the only accredited university that provides um, a training for the DOE or Department of Ed in Hawaii. So Chaminade was my first choice and only choice to get my uh, master's in psychology with a school counseling emphasis. 
Um, during that time, you know, I still continue to work at Kapiolani Community College. I work with the nursing in the nursing department there um, as a casual, we call it a casual hire. It's like a part-time position. Um, but there I worked with the counselors because they knew I was interested in counseling. So they really took me under their wing and I kind of, you know, developed that academic advising part of it. I learned more about the college um, itself, the community college, that, that aspect, and even the a university, being a university student of UH Manoa, um, I learned that whole transition process. So my own journey in my educational journey kind of mirrored um, my whole career, I guess, because I started out at KCC, or Kapiolani Community College, then transferred to UH Manoa. And then from there, I got my master's at another private institution on the island. So um, very fortunate that my pathway was, educational pathway was pretty clear. It's just that professional side of it, I started getting glimpses of what it's actually, to, what it would be like to be as a middle school or high school counselor in the DOE, and what it would be like as a community college counselor um, with Kapiolani. And so that really shaped how um, my master's program went. I still graduated with a master's um, in psychology with school counseling emphasis. Um, and, and that was just so I had the option if I wanted to, to continue at, you know, in the high school or um, at a middle school or even elementary school on the island. But I found that I don't really, I mean, I like kids, but uh, being in, you know, that level and that complexity and even reflecting now, social media wasn't a thing when I was, when I was back in the day. So now, and now to see it play out in during the pandemic, during, you know, everything. I'm like, that's a whole nother layer and a whole nother year of education that I think I should, or, you know, professional development that I would need in order to navigate through counseling with, with that, that generation, right? Um, and that time of their lives and their developmental stages and how that social media and its social influence impacts them. So from there, I made the decision um, to kind of continue on. Uh, I still, after graduation, I still worked at um, Kapiolani Community College as in the same role, you know, helping the advisors. I took on a little bit more responsibility as far as um, working with college students and doing health documentation for nursing and clinicals and all that fun stuff. Um, but then I had I had a couple kids in between, got married. And then when the job posting was up or when it was time for me to get a real job, I looked at KCC and so fortunately, we had a TRIO student support services position open. Um, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's a federally funded grant program that focuses on low income, first generation college students and students with disabilities. Um, and from there, I, you know, I, I just got immersed with the college, got a faculty, a real job. Um, and, you know, I, I found it like a glorified high school counselor. So that's why I was so drawn to that position. Um, and after uh, we had a health science and EMS position open up, they needed a temporary coverage. Um, so I was applied for that one or got asked to fill that position. And then nursing opened up a year later and here I am. So I've been with the nursing department at Kapiolani for the past eight months since March. Uh, but really I've been with them for about seven years prior so it's like coming home yeah but talk about being like in the right place at the right time and a lot of the work experience that you were getting you didn't know that was going to lead to where you're at now with some of these positions that came up so you just never know what's going to happen and, and that's i love that part 
Right. And it just, uh, how I got the job here as an undergraduate was my auntie. She was a, she was a nursing department chair and, you know, I will, in Hawaii, we call aunties like our, our friends, you know, our college oh, yeah. cousins or, so she wasn't my real, real auntie, but uh, my brother's friend of an aunt, his mom was here. And so she asked me if I needed a job and I was like, sure. And that's, yeah, it's timing. A lot of it's timing and, and luck, I guess. Oh yeah. I mean, I just remember my, um, at Cal State San Bernardino, I was a student assistant in admissions. And once I graduated, I, I was looking for jobs and, you know, applying everywhere. couldn't find one. And I just happened to just call my supervisor one day just to check in and see how things were going. Not asking like, hey, can I get a job? Just literally say, how's it going? And she's like, well, it's funny you call because I'm moving to this other department, you know, so my job's going to be up. You know, if you want me to put a good word in for you, let me know. And I was like, awesome. perfect yeah. timing. Yeah. Yeah, so you never know what what's going to happen. So always look out for those opportunities and and um, yeah, and see what happens. But yeah, I was kind of thinking about when you're talking about social media. Like, I'm glad that I didn't have social media when I was in in high school. I don't know how people survive now with with that. You know, I was yeah. so used to just uh, using the payphone, not having a cell phone, <laughs> not not being on my phone, like scrolling social media all the time and seeing what's the what's the new thing to wear or, you know, who, who's, who's the popular. It's like, I had enough of that just without social media. Even in, even Googling, Googling stuff was not a thing when I was in school. We had to go to the library. Yeah, a library. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's not, not the computer library, but like the book library. So yeah. That's, that's another. Yeah, pull out the drawer, look, look for the different card to see where it's at in, yeah. in the library and go find the book. And then most of the times, like, it was misplaced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fun times. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we know we've, we've reached that age when we say back <laughs> in the day. Back in the day when I was young, which is not that long ago, I want to say. But yeah, technology has just added a whole new a whole new layer to counseling and advising and in, just in general, I think. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, we were talking uh, prior to the 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 podcast, you know, and you were mentioning right now about like, um, you know, working with kids and then realizing, well, maybe I don't necessarily want to, you know, work with kids like all day. Um, <laughs> and, you know, found yourself with, with, uh, with the college students. But I think you were also mentioning that you found like, um, some of it also restrictive regarding like the school schedule limitations, yeah. right? I mean, you, as a school, you know, working for the department of ed, you have to be at your site by seven thirty, seven forty five. Um, not that that was a problem. It's just that, you know, and you couldn't leave campus. You you know what I mean? You had to stay there the whole time. Um, and even for the curriculum aspect of it, uh, I feel with TRIO, we could create, um, we can program, right? We can create our own programming. Uh, but for the DOE, we, we have to stay within our boundaries, you know, and money was is always such an issue, especially for the public school system. And so having that freedom to create um, programming for your students um, and have it reach a vast amount of students um, that I, I felt that was that was I, I was missing in that um, in that in that atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. so definitely a lot, lot more flexibility and, and a little bit more freedom in positions that we have right now. Yes, yeah. yes for sure. Yeah, and let's talk about that. So, um, you know, you're mentioning being at Capilano Community College. So how would you describe your institution? 
Um, so Kukilani Community College, we are a two-year, um, I guess you can consider us two-year institution, although a lot of students, and including myself, find this year longer than two, <laughs> like four or six, if you're on that plan. Um, but it, so we're a two-year institution, generally. Uh, we offer liberal arts degrees um, for transfer mostly to our University of Hawaii or University of Manoa or UH Hilo or any other campus, university in, within the island chain or even mainland or outside. Um, and uh, we also focus on CTE programs like nursing. We have a health science programs, uh, 10, over 10 different health science programs here. Um, EMS or emergency medical services. We do uh, EMT training and paramedic training. We, we're the only ones that are offered on the island or throughout the island chain. Um, we also have a culinary arts program that focuses focused on um, certificates and also obtaining an associate's degree in culinary arts with the hopes to transfer to our University of West Oahu, also on, Oahu, on, on the same island, but on a separate campus from our Manoa campus. Um, yeah, we have a population. We hope to get up to the 8,000. We're, we're kind of bordering that now. We took a pretty big hit during during the pandemic. I think everybody felt that. Um, but now our, our numbers are slowly growing, especially with our online. We have a, a big distance education program or, uh, sorry, liberal arts degree. So, um, yeah, it's it, we're, we're moving along. And so we're the only two-year uh, two nursing program probably within on the island for sure and within our island chain and maybe even in this region i feel um so pretty pretty sought after but um i think that's about it i mean what else what else to go over there's so much different aspects of our college um we are on outlooking diamond head you know we're on natural historical land um, for the island we're named after queen kapiolani uh, she focused on um, mental or sorry, physical and medical um, endeavors throughout her reign as as a queen. And so she, we have a hospital named Kapiolani, Kapiolani, and and that's why we kind of focus on our health sciences and our nursing and our EMS programs because of, of Queen Kapiolani's dream and her her manifestations of how we should protect and um, support all all Native Hawaiians and Hawaiians of the island. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. Yeah, I love the history behind it and just how everything really is connected, you know, to that. Um, and then your role right now, you're one of the uh, nursing counselors. So what, what exactly does your role entail like in your day to day? Oh, well, we, uh, we assist with pre-nursing students, so students who are interested in nurse and becoming a nursing student, you know, give them all the ins and outs, how to get into the program, application process, prerequisite courses, all that onboarding or all that fun stuff. Uh, we also partake in first year and returning student onboarding process. So, you know, getting them registered, registered for the right classes, all, 
And um, we also work with our nursing, our current nursing students. So I think um, we have three different, or sorry, four different programs that we offer within the nursing field. Um, each program, we do all the application, processing, collection, reviewing, and then selection. Um, and then with our current nursing students who are already in the program, you know, we help out with curriculum as far as getting it passed through accreditation. Um, we work as community college faculty as well. So you have to sit on all those great committees and do all that committee work. Um, what else do we do? Uh, we do um, we do outreach uh, with the high schools. Um, we do have a high school program here at KCC, uh, but they we also assist them with nursing specifics. Our nursing students or interested nursing students. Uh, we also work out within the community. Uh, so we have a lot of returning adults, or we call it transfer adults, that are interested in in coming to KCC uh, or getting their their RN licensure. So yeah, it's, it's pretty busy with. Oh, sounds like it seems like every day is, is a new adventure seems yes, like where yes. you know you might be working with the actual nursing students and then two appointments later it's someone who's wanting to get into nursing and right. then maybe the next day is like now i need to go i'm recruiting at at, at a high school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's, i mean that it, it, it's exact not exact opposite but kind of opposite of that doe structure right like yeah like, not one day is the same um, so I was so, and with pertaining to my undergrad, I'm so glad that I got to experience both both sides. Because mm-hmm. without not knowing what I didn't want, I wouldn't, I would never have been here or would got here. So it's very fortunate my my journey. Yeah, and so like speaking of nursing, like you know when I think of advising conferences, there's always seems to be like a nursing presentation um, and about like how they navigate their students and onboard them or how they have pre-nursing students that don't get into nursing and how do they help those students? So I guess, you know, like when you have, let's say a student that's interested in nursing, um, you know, I know like every student is going to be different, um, but like, let's say you have the student that maybe is, you know, like won't make it into the program based off like grades, like their, Mm -hmm. um, the classes that they've taken or the conversation you've had, but let's say they're, they're solely set on, on doing nursing. Like, what what's that typical conversation like and helping them navigate, you know, and understanding all of that? Well, you know, from the start, uh, be, as a pre-nursing student, uh, we always emphasize, and there's rumors, you know, that it's competitive program, you know, we take the top 10% of all of the applicants. So there, there's that, that added layer of, of pressure on, on, on getting good grades and each and unfortunately, that's just how, how it plays out. But um, from the start, we always encourage students to have a plan B or a parallel plan, right? So, okay, so not nursing, what else, what drives you? Why do you want to be, why do you want to be a nurse? A lot of times students are, I care about people. Right. You know, I want to help people. Oh, well, there's so many professions. You can become a, a counselor. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many different professions that we can help with. And then, you know, it's going from opening their eyes and providing them different options, especially within our college. We have 10 different health science programs that um, maybe not as competitive, but they still get to help people, maybe not in the capacity of a nurse, but we have our respiratory care program, our radiological tech program. So there's various different health sciences um, that a lot of times the courses that they have already taken, 
can apply to that program as well. So uh, for myself, being where have worked in the in the health science department and the EMS, it's it's so helpful for when I work with those students, so I can ref automatically be referring them to these other programs, which have the same skills, maybe and the same qualities of being caring and wanting to help, right. uh, but just a, a little different different view and you know and having that option I think is always something that I think students really really look for and then being realistic you know like you can uh, my best I'll try my best or we can try our hardest to get into a program um, but sometimes you know it just it doesn't work out so what are your options what are your other options and you know you know working I think I sorry your comp at your presentation at the for the AAPI students right their their barriers are what they face a lot of it is family family driven and in Hawaii I mean we I still live with my family and I plan to die with you know to have them yeah. so is that so we we are very family centered and so everything that a lot or a lot what I see with a lot of our students is that I have to I'm doing this for my family or I I'm I'm doing for myself, but also more so for my family to help support, you know. And so for those students, that's a little bit harder because that's just that added layer of making sure that their their basic needs are being met. And I think it was highlighted in during during COVID yeah. when we were on lockdown. I don't know about you guys, but Hawaii was locked down. We were we couldn't leave the house unless we had a good reason, and only one person could go. And so we would send our significant others out into the wild to go to the grocery store. You know, so that's how, I mean, our basic needs weren't being met. And yeah. for our students, their basic needs have to be met before they can be a student or be a good a good student. Right. So I think for us, that was, that's a, it's a little bit harder, harder choices to be made. And so for that, you know, we definitely turn to our, we have a career um, workforce, a Hawaii career workforce page that we refer students to. And it shows them how much money they can make in this position and unfortunately you no know, nursing not unfortunately but fortunately and unfortunately nursing you can make a lot of money right off the bat right yeah. salary wise and so everyone is kind of drawn and there's definitely stability in this job as well so they're always drawn to that nursing part of it but if you can show that another job you know you can another position another cte career then maybe they didn't even think about or realize and um it just helps them make that decision a little bit a little bit easier, but definitely still still hard when you don't get what you what you're so passionate about. But you know, a lot of times students they they pull through and they you know make it in. And there's different pathways. So we have our traditional ADN program, and then we have our our um, kind of a, a ladder uh, position um, pathway to get to nursing. And so some students opt that route instead less competitive, less money-wise. So when we do advising, I definitely have to take into consideration the cost because mm -hmm. uh, cost of living is so high in, in Hawaii. Um, that's just a big driving factor for, for a lot of the students, whether they continue on with the program or if, they even, if it's even on their radar. Yeah, well, it seems like, yeah, that, that the students that you're meeting with, like they're not necessarily just thinking about major and career. They're, well, I need to have the money piece of it just because cost is so high. But then a lot of them also might have that cultural piece in terms of like their background, their family and like the needs of them and then the pressures that they have. So it seems like, you know, it's good that like when you're talking to them about like the different options that it's like, well, you know, these classes can transfer to this other area. Um, and, you know, here's this site and here you can see the how much this this can make. 
So at least that is information they can share with their family too. Right. And be like, oh, okay, yeah, let's you can that's do okay. That. <laughs> yeah. Can do that. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking like with um so I work with a lot of undecided exploratory students. And so like our nursing program here, if if a student didn't meet the impaction criteria through admissions, they're not even allowed to ever do pre-nursing um, wow. at our institution. And so uh, for a lot of them, it's like a surprise to them when they come to orientation and it's like, oh, I should be uh, as a nursing major and they're listed as um, undecided. And it's like, well, not to give them this, you know, bad news <laughs> orientation when it's supposed to be like super excited for them to be there. Oh. But it's like, oh, I got to be realistic with them. But then it's kind of like what you're doing, kind of give them some options. Like, well, we do, you know, there's the transfer option. There's potentially coming back for a master's in nursing, mm-hmm. or the community college and transfer back to us, you know, and then, you know, and then, hey, there's other medical um, opportunities outside of nursing that is still connected to that. So, yeah. And, you know, they hopefully feel better with that. But I know it, it's, it's, you know, a punch to the gut in a sense, you know, right. Right. But, um, but like you said, uh, students, they definitely are, uh, resilient. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in being at a community college, you know, you probably also work up with a lot of students that end up transferring and going to a four year, you know, it seems like a, a lot of schools, uh, a lot of states are very different in their transfer process. Do you feel, uh, there's like streamlined process for students, uh, to go to a community college and then. Uh, transfer to a four-year? Well, funny, for, for uh, graduate, our graduating nursing students, we actually have a, what we call a consortium curriculum that we've worked out with their University of Hawaii at Manoa um, and where they automatically accept all of our associate's degree in nursing graduates. They just need to have a few more liberal arts um, requirements, like gen, gen ed courses completed, um, and then they're eligible. So as long as they pass it, you know, go through our program, complete, pass the NCLEX exam, become licensed, they're eligible to start within in that fall semester or the following fall semester in the UH Manoa program to get their bachelor's degree in nursing. We've also had that same curriculum with um, UH Hilo. So it's a, on the big island, on our island chain. And so they also offer a BSN program where same curriculum, they take our same um, graduates. They do need a few other requirements, but Again, they are able to go to seem so that's a, that's their seamless transfer to, oh. to those universities to get their bachelor's degree. So it's a, it's a I think it, it works out. It's great. It works out wonderful. We have um I don't want to say I say majority of our of our graduates, our associate degree in nursing graduates, will move on to get their bachelor's degree mm-hmm. um, in nursing. So that's very hopeful. It is in high demand at our hospitals, as far as they call it magnet hospitals, where they want at least eighty percent of their graduate or their nursing staff to have a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. so it's very been very helpful for our students um, but as far as our liberal arts students or even the undecided students um, that move on to UH Manoa we do have um, different programs that assist them um, to get their bachelor's degree mm-hmm. I think it, it's a lot of it's more so transitioning from two year to four year from mm-hmm. small big pond or small pond to big pond for our students yeah. I think that's where the hardest issues are but as far as the actual curriculum and um credit transfers it's pretty seamless from community colleges from our community colleges to to the universities on Oahu I can't say that for students coming from the mainland or coming to KCC yeah a little bit more difficult just because of the the high volume right I, I don't um there's just so many 
so many interested students and just not enough staff and counselors to, to assist them all. So right. uh, we're working on that. Yeah, it's a work in progress. It's yeah, always a work in progress. Yeah. yeah, but I like hearing about like kind of like this almost guarantee that with like the nursing students that it's like, hey, just take these extra few classes for the liberal arts side of it, and you're almost guaranteed to get into yeah. um, the four year to UH Manoa. And I think we're we're lucky because we are on an island, so our it's there's not other options, right? So there's no other options, but ours really, um, in that sense, we're to get right. your to transfer out. Um, and really use their their uh, associate's degree to their advantage for the BSN program. Um, so yeah, that took that took a lot of coordination amongst all all I all community colleges and all universities. I want to say um, just to get on that same page for the curriculum. Yeah. Now you were talking a little bit earlier, mentioning like the pandemic and a lot of the restrictions and you know how things have changed. Like, so in your experience, um, like, let's just say, like, advising wise, um, how have you seen things change over these last, like, two, three years? Oh, well, <laughs> I never been on Zoom prior to maybe one meeting. We had an Akata meeting and it was on Zoom. And I was like, this is new. I never, <laughs> I didn't even know how to use my camera on my, on my computer. I even have a camera on my computer at, at work. So, in that sense, it has changed a lot where everything is via Zoom um, or virtual. But honestly, for I feel for our advising, it has opened the door. We have been more accessible. Right? We're getting more inquiries, which is not a bad thing at all. We want more information out there so students make the best decision for themselves. But it allows us to meet with, with students from the mainland and allows us to meet with students from the outer islands. Um, or even on the island. I don't know if you've been to Hawaii, Matt, but the traffic is horrible here. And now that we're all open back up, the traffic is back to normal where yeah. no one's going to come to KCC, to our campus from the other side of the island and sit through half an hour or 45 minutes of traffic to meet with me for five minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. So right. um, I feel like it is the um, accessibility has gotten so much better uh, with, with COVID. Uh, but I think right now what we're seeing is the workforce has taken a huge hit. Um, not a, the, the students that graduated during that COVID period, we're hoping we, we would anticipate seeing them by now, right? Applying to colleges, applying to the workforce, even getting into or coming to the nursing or applying to the nursing program. We're not seeing as high numbers as that we, as we're used to. Um, and I hope, I, I think it's, I want to say it's because of COVID and because maybe we, we really don't know. We try to speculate, but we really don't know what they're thinking, what they're going, what those high school students and graduates are going through. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one of the bigger effects of COVID that I'm seeing now is that they're, they're not coming to college. They're not working. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but we hope to, you know, we're slowly working with our state, um, state of Hawaii with the high school systems and really trying to, push the career pathways to the students, get them more interested or expose them more to the different fields. And right now in Hawaii, we have such a high demand for in the healthcare field, EMS, um, nursing, all the different levels. So it's, it's a, they're in high demand. Now it's just trying to fill in, fill in those gaps and fill in the pukas or the holes, right? So we were trying to get those students in. Um, and also kind of seeing a little bit of social, uh social differences with the students 
a lot more distracted. I think a lot more students are able to multitask, right? They're used to being on Zoom. They can also be on the, and I'm not going to lie, I do the same. Like they can be on their phone and they can check, or we can check our emails while we're in a meeting. So now that we're back in person, like it's really trying to get their focus and being like, hey, you cannot, cannot do that kind of stuff, <laughs> or you shouldn't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and so I think that's another, just getting used to the, the, the normal, normalcy or whatever that was before. But yeah. I feel like for counseling at our campus, it's forever changed where we're always going to offer this, the Zoom or that virtual portion of the advising side, at least just so, because it has been so much more effective for us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Uh, oh, no, yeah, I'm... Um... Just laughing about the uh, distraction part because, yeah, I mean, sometimes there'll be a, a Zoom meeting and I'm like, oh, when I get to that meeting, then I can also check this and send this <laughs> email. And then I like, oh, what did they just say in the meeting to get called on? I'm like, oh, what was I supposed to do? Yes. So it kind of is you got to think, well, oh, we're not <laughs> going to turn your, your brain back onto the to real life or real time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, your Nakata experience, because that's that's kind of how we met is through Nakata. So um, what got you, when did you start kind of, you know, getting involved in Nakata? Was it going to conferences or, you know, tell us about that story. So I'm going to blame um, Sherry. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to bring her name up, but it's all Sherry's fault. So <laughs> Sherry Souza, she was a, at the Nakata. She was Nakata chair where you are now, mm -hmm. um, but she also was a health science counselor at KCC and EMS. So she kind of pulled me in and she's like, hey, when I first, well, so when I first started in Trio, it was my first year, she was like, hey, you want to help us out with this conference? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, sure. You know, I need, I needed to buff up my, my, you know, contract <laughs> renewal and everything. So I was like, yes, yeah, so I'll join. I think it was in 2018. When was, when they were here last, 2018? Oh, for the, the, oh, the region nine and 10 conference. 2019. Okay. So maybe I was helping her before that, but it, I think in 2019, when we were here, I was already on the steering committee. Um, Sherry pulled me in and she asked me to help out. I was like, okay, sure. I really had no idea what I was getting into. Um, so I created the room schedule. So if anybody came to that 2019 conference, I apologize. <laughs> no idea what I was doing. I was doing it by myself. So I was like, okay, you can go here and then we'll cross the street. I don't even know you have to cross the street to go the other. I thought it worked out. Like, okay, great. Because the way I looked at it is you had so many rooms that you <laughs> could use, but you had so many presentations. So it's like you had to be able to cross the street. And luckily, I, the street wasn't that long and it was just yeah, a quick, yeah. It was quick really, walk really across. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she, had, she brought me in there and then. Honestly, I had no idea what I was as a liaison. I was quite a liaison at the time. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing either. 
So I kind of just felt on the coattails of Sherry. I didn't know what Nakata was about. I had no idea. Even sitting in the steering committee, I'm going to be honest, I was like, what am I doing here? I'm like, I, had, I felt like I had nothing to contribute. I think, be, and also because I was such a, a junior faculty, I had, I could bear, I barely knew my role at KCC. So at, as a, in the troop department, so it was kind of like a throw yourself into the fire. But, you know, it, it only took me two years to figure out really what my role was. Um, and so it's, I think being a part of Nakata, like only now, not only now, but now after attending the conference and, you know, being in, being on the, in this position for about two years, three years, I think, because we changed it to the yeah. two year rotation. So for three years, I, um, I finally get it. I think I understand <laughs> what Nakata is about. Um, and I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate Nakata, like all the professional development opportunities. Um, I was very fortunate to attend the, uh, Nakata conference that was online. I mean, it was last year's conference that they was offered online and in person. But even the online, I found valuable information, and I, I felt that it was still it still helped it helped guide, you know, advising for myself. And then now learning um, learning more about the talk story sessions, you know, what we actually what we guys are actually talking about, right? And what do we actually do as far as supporting other counselors or academic advisors in their roles, right? And even um, now that I'm a little bit more seasoned in, at the college, they're asking or it was recommended to start presenting at, at national conferences. And I mean, it, it only took me two years to figure out that's what, that's the way Nakata can help me. Is like, <laughs> not only can I write it down as something I did, but they can also help me create, you know, and produce uh, presentations to share our professional experiences and, you know, work on that professional development side. So. Think, yeah, I, I get it now. I get it. I yeah. think. Well, I think too, you know, and, and I think it's kind of unfortunate, like with the pandemic is like, then everything kind of went virtual, which I think in, in a way kind of brought people together in a sense. Cause it's like, okay, now we have zoom and this is going to be the thing now, mm-hmm. but there's also just that missing piece of just being in person, you know, like, um, you oh, know, absolutely. for example, one of the things that you were wanting to do was like go to a conference uh, for our region meeting and be able to like, let me meet the people uh, within my region and in, in my geographic area in a sense, and let's kind of have a breakout session. And it's almost like you finally got to do that in Portland. Um, but in the prior years, yeah, it's like you had the pandemic or you only had the option for virtual. So you didn't really get that opportunity. Um, so it's like you finally got it towards the end. <laughs> right, right. At, yes. Yeah, but the the com- the conference and I think yeah again meeting everybody in person that's kind of like what solidified of what we're what we're really what we're really doing as a steering committee as well you know I got to meet our Guam our Guam counterparts and even though each one is on the same island we don't get to see each other it's all through Zoom and what we're finding you know on on our campus is that we're we're missing that whole social socialization like how is it going you know talking story we don't get to talk story. Through Zoom and yeah, I think that that part of that whole social um, socialization we were were missing. So it was good. It was a good experience. Well, and speaking of the conference, uh, talk about your experience uh, at in Portland. Oh well, it was cold. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, a lot different weather. Yeah, colder than I uh, (laughs) I I was packed for. (laughs) I thought it was in the eighties or (laughs) seventies. 
And then we got there, it was in the 50s. And we're from Hawaii, so seven, I mean, 70s is kind of cold, right? And then anything below well, and, that. and because the week before and the days leading up to it the conference, it, it, was, it was sunny and warm. Yes. Yeah. So and I all of a sudden, like it I changed. Gonna, <laughs> I packed like I was, you know, going to be like at home, but it was cold. It was so cold. But luckily, I mean, we had jackets. I brought boots. <laughs> that was it was nice it was a good it was good boot weather we we're happy yeah. about that we don't get to wear boots that often here um and not, without sweating uh so the the experience itself was awesome i've never been to portland um it got to i got to see so much that i don't get to see in hawaii uh but the i guess the sessions that really stood out to me were um currently our you know our campus we're trying to work on our transfer our transfer experience and there was a um there was an actual there was a session i'm so sorry i didn't write it down but there's a session about transfer and how your transfer process is working for your college and we're given we're we're given this you know um worksheet or to to do and to me that was the most valuable take back because that's what the subcommittee that i signed myself up for was our trans our transfer um, and transfer evaluation, transfer evaluation process, what we're doing here at the college at KCC. And so that related directly to what I, I, what I needed for, for our counselors and our counseling um, profession here. And then there was a nursing, a nursing one, uh, I think it was the last day. Like, it didn't get into nursing, so now what? And that's like, that's the line, that's our famous line that we have, that we hear all the time. Um, so for that program, I mean, it, it was just so, it was very helpful to see how other colleges and universities handle that same type of student, same situation. And even Matt, your, your presentation on the AAPI student, right? Like that, that's my people I was saying, cause that's the majority of our students that I, that I work with is our Asian American Pacific Islander students. Um, and even being on, on Oahu where the minority um, is a Caucasian student, but um, our Pacific Island students are still struggling. So they, you know, even though they're not the minority and they, you know, we're trying to incorporate them and, you know, bring them into the college, they're, they're still struggling, a struggling population that we're trying to work with. And we have programs for and then we we don't see often in nursing, um, but we're trying to get more students to to apply or to become a part of it, become a part of our community. So, um, yeah, the, I love Portland. It's great food, good breweries, can't complain. It was yeah. a great time. Yeah. And you mentioned the AAPI one. So I got to shout out Maria Domingo. Uh, for yes, that. I'm sorry, Cause, you're yeah, because that I mean, that was actually her idea. And I just got to help out with it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I you know I learned so much from that, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, she did such a phenomenal job preparing for it and then executing that that presentation. So, yeah, Maria, awesome job. And then with the Region 9 um, networking, you got to actually like, have that breakout session. Um, yes. So how did that go? Uh, so I just, you know, learned the needs. Um, we spoke more to directly to the University of Hawaii. We had a lot of a lot of um, participants that applied for the scholarship for one of um, one of the scholarship presenter scholarships yeah. from UH Manoa that came. And so I wanted to ask them about that experience. Like how hard was it? Was it easy? Because mm-hmm. um, being on the steering committee, I got to review applications and reading the applications. I'm like, oh my god, it seems like so much work. Or there's a lot that has to go into it. It seems so difficult. 
but speaking, but actually speaking with the participants who actually applied, uh, they they were they said it was easy. You know, I was I wanted to ask them about the accessibility. Like, did you know about it? Did you hear about? It? I think oftentimes, as being in a you know in our region nine, we have so many different areas or so many you know parts that we gotta look out for that you know, and we get so much emails on top of that that they might lose our newsletter, our news blast, or you know, or, or they might look over accidentally delete the Nakata email so they might miss it and so I was thinking maybe there's a way we can connect them more with that and so um they said it was a great process it was easy they they would do it again and um for sure that was helpful and speaking with um our Arlene and our other counterpart from Guam they traveled 24 hours you know 14 hours and gained a day, lost a day. I um, so they, so for them to travel is, is hard enough, right? And so really focusing on like the big barrier, the, those types of barriers. I know like having, although online sessions are super helpful um, during conferences, time-wise. I remember Arlene would tell me from Guam, she would tell me, I had to wake up at five or three. She did a, she went to a session at three in the morning. I was like, Arlene, that's horrible. <laughs> I can't function at three in the morning, let alone yeah. just wake up to go to a, a conference for that. So knowing that and knowing um, that in person is optimal, it, it kind of lit a, a fire under me to yeah. really push those scholarships and really get that that funding out. Um, for colleges, like unfortunately for our college, we do not have um, the monies to to be all Nakata members. Yeah. Uh, so we have to front that or we have to pay for our own membership. Um, and so just maybe finding more ways on, on that financial barrier that's helped that's stopping us from traveling. Like going to Vegas, now that's I mean, I think a lot of Hawaii people are willing to pay for that <laughs> and it's yeah. doable. Um, but at the same time, the conference costs and like the, the, you know, the staying there, we have to get a car if we were gonna go anywhere or if we want to travel type of thing. So having that, keeping that in mind, it, it really fuels my um, intentions with the scholarships and like how we get, how to promote it more and maybe push it more with our um, Hawaii membership and yeah. Hawaii, Hawaii members. Yeah. Or yeah. not, sorry, our region. Right. Members, sorry. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, you know, since you mentioned Vegas, I'll just put a plug that, yeah, the region conferences, there's plenty of them to choose from, but I'll be biased that, uh, the Region 8, 9, 10 conference that'll be February 27th through March 1st. That will be in Vegas. So registration's open already, and you can also submit proposals. So I hope to see that there's a lot of them there. And I think we have some amazing uh, conference co-chairs, especially within Region 9 with, with Janelle and Maria. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing how everything goes. But with uh, the next few minutes that we have left for this, um, one of the other things in Portland that uh, you were a part of was uh, a, a grant uh, initiative through the Stupski Foundation that they were doing an advisor wellness grant, something new of kind of doing something grassroots effort where actually like us as advisors, in a sense, kind of got through this whole process of writing a grant, submitting it, attending a workshop. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about um the team that you're on uh, with the Stupski grant? Yeah, so uh, for for our team, it, um, actually, I was not the originator of the grant. Uh, uh, three of them, or two of them are counselors. The other three are um, faculty or, or staff for the for Native Hawaiian program. And so their ideas 
um, right now, I don't know how it is at your campus, Matt, but at KCC, we are kind of going a recon uh, reconstruction type of thing with our counselors. Um, we're trying to figure out the best structure. And so right now, counselors are kind of floating around. We, we, are, we are within our own departments, but we're, again, we're, we function, our functionalities are pretty much the same, right? We're all counselors and we're all doing this advising and trying to work with our students, but we have nobody, no string or no line to report to or clear def defined lines. So with the Stubsy grant, just looking at our structure, um, looking at our, our workloads after COVID, uh, realizing that we did a lot as counselors. I mean, the students went through a lot, but I think the counselors went through a lot too, just because, you know, again, went back to basic needs. We were just trying to make sure our students that weren't showing up to class had, had food at home, right? And then transportation becomes another issue because the bus, um, we do have a, a bus line that runs through the entire island. That was down um, for how many for a year almost, you know what I mean? It was very limited to who, who got to go on it and who went on it. Um, and then, yeah, so it, it just created this extra extra barrier for, for our students. And then for us, it created that another anxiety and then learning everything about Zoom and Google. And oh my gosh, it was just a big learning curve that I think, I think we did we did well. I mean, look in the Kata conference, we had a lot of people show up. So, uh, but I did hear um, during the conference that there was a lot of, uh, not retention, but first for faculty or not returning counselors, right? There's, yeah. there in, I think in California, right? There's a, there's a puka, there's a need for yep. counseling and academic advisors. And so, um, yeah, I think that just shows like how much mental and emotional and even like that, yeah, that, that layer of, of anxiety that counselors took on during that pandemic was is pretty pretty rough, I think. And so, so with our group, we were called the um, Kulihia uh, project kind of thing, where it, it's a plant that is native Hawaii, is native to Hawaii, and it it's sustainable. It's it, yeah. it's thriving, um, and so that was the idea behind that is that we are a sustainable group. Um, might be bust up or you might be broken at some times, but we're still thriving. And so with the grant, we hope to reconnect, you know, offer more opportunities for counselors to reconnect. Because again, we are through, most of our meetings are still being conducted through Zoom. Um, I'm meeting a lot of students, pre-nursing students through Zoom. Um, so we, again, we, we're missing that socialization factor, right? And a chance for us to reconnect. So with the grant, it gives us more opportunities to reconnect. You know, we have different phases of the of our grant that we're going to go through it. And it's all derived through Native Hawaiian teachings and lessons. Like Walina means welcome. And so with that phase, we hope to welcome, have create a welcoming presence within your own office. Right. Yeah. So like redo it. So I don't want to this is my office. <laughs> um if before I had boxes all over the place. And I moved in here from another, uh, taking over another um, person's office. So really making a welcoming space, which you want to be in. Um, Cause the fact is that we spend majority of our time in our office, if not at, at a campus. So we want to make that a welcoming space. And then the various other um, areas where we're going to meet together. Um, and at the very end, we hope to do not a ho'oponopono, which is to, hash out all your stuff with 
the your family, but really creating that ohana or creating that family portion of it and then using concepts from Ho'oponopono just to kind of hash out any any residual or any upset feelings that we may have, right? And yeah. so I think there's that that whole, you know, up and back and forth, up and down and not knowing and not being able to talk about it, yeah. right? Because we don't have that. So we can't just talk story after after our meeting because it's all through Zoom. And so I think with the grant, hopefully we can re- create those connections and reconnect with each other um, and have a, even a, we even one of our phases to is to co- um, collaborate and work on um, professional developments, the skills that we have that we have, but also work um, with each other regarding student progress and maybe specific students that we share as a nursing counselor and a Native Hawaiian counselor, or a mental health counselor and you know a nursing student or something like that. So um, hopefully with the grant, we're we're looking forward to you know really Im- implementing all these different phases um, and just providing that space and that area and that time to reconnect. And we do have support from our admin, which is awesome. They, yeah. they, see, they see we're broken. Not, they <laughs> see that we need some time. And so they're giving it to or They're allowing us to take that time. Right. And, um, yeah, I think they, they definitely see the need. And honestly, during the pandemic, I think it's shown a light on what we do as counselors and what we do as academic advisors. Um, because I don't know, for, for our students, those students didn't have anybody to turn to or didn't know um, what class to take next or they couldn't come to campus and they dropped out. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of students that struggled who you know, tried to do their best, but then we have those students that didn't even apply or come right. back. Um, and so those are the students that we that we're most concerned about because of a lot of them were Native Hawaiian students, Pacific Island students. Um, and so we that was a, a pretty big population that we, we want to focus on. So hopefully with all of us coming together, that'll that'll happen. Yeah, well, it sounds like I mean, it's very, you know, thought through and, and so many different components to it. So. I mean, and if you're going to be able to help the students, like you have to be able to help yourself first and, you know, you have to be able to heal and be, have that wellness piece to it. So I look forward to hearing later how things uh, end up going throughout the, you know, this kind of six months to a year of, of implementing this. So congrats on the grant and yeah, and you all have a great team and I got to meet a, a couple of the, the other members uh, in Portland. So yeah, you, you all are very passionate about what you do. So I think, Good things are going to happen from this grant. Thank you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, and with that, we have reached time. So, Christy, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've learned a lot more about you, and you know, a lot of exciting things. And I know originally you were saying that I don't know if I have any stories to tell, and I think you've given a lot of great stories, a lot of great tidbits uh, oh, of, of knowledge with this. So, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Christy. Great seeing you at the Portland Conference. And thank you for sharing about working with nursing students, as well as talking about the wellness grant. Best to you and your fellow team members on that. Next up, let's chat with Thomas Shelley. All right, let's welcome to the podcast, Thomas Shelley. Thomas is a student success and engagement academic advisor for the College of Pharmacy at Oregon State University. He directly advises first and second year PharmD students. Thomas is the Vice President of the Oregon Academic Advisors Association, OAAA. 
and is an organ liaison for the Nakata, the global community for academic advising. He also co-coordinates the Nakata Region 8 Learning Partnership with Mike McLean, Nakata Alberta liaison. Prior to his work in higher education, Thomas was a high school English educator and head speech coach in Lincoln, Nebraska. When he isn't working, Thomas enjoys playing cooperative tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. He is settling nicely into his new home in Albany, Oregon with his husband, Robert, their Corgi Spud, and cat, Nina. I'll also add that Thomas was the co-chair for evaluations at this past Nakata annual conference in Portland. Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, great for you to be here. And usually we start with the question of your path in higher ed and and at the end, maybe do a fun question, but I want to reverse that. I just mentioned that you were on the planning committee for the annual conference in Portland, but you literally landed and rolled into conference time. What were you doing prior to the Portland conference? Yeah, um, right before we jumped into annual conference, um, I was on my uh, two-year anniversary honeymoon. Um, we got married, my husband Robert and I, um, in October 2020. Um, and so we really just rolled out our um, celebration as long as we could. So we did a, a small private service uh, with just the in-laws in October of 2020. And then on our one-year anniversary, we did a, a small reception that kind of was meant to be the the makeup for for the wedding. Um, and then uh, because of COVID, we also had to delay our honeymoon. So on our two-year anniversary, we we went to London for a week and and saw and did a million things. And um, and then for four days, we went up to Newcastle upon Tyne and we stayed in a castle. Um, and played Dungeons and Dragons for for four days. Um, it was a blast. We had we had such a good time. Yeah, and then we flew home. And on I checked in on Friday, and then we we ran a conference for <laughs> for time after that. Um, and here we are. Yeah, but that Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, doing that in a castle. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> and then. Um, any jet lag <laughs> coming back and then going into uh, to the conference? Yeah, uh, we stayed at Lemley Castle in in Newcastle, and it was it's been renovated into a hotel, and yeah, it was all inclusive aside from the alcohol. But you know, you pay for what you have to, right. and yeah, jet lag. It was um, I think like an eight hour difference, and so we got in like at four on a Friday, and it felt like two in the morning. It was not a good time. Um, but the mornings were great. I you know, felt like taking a nap and, and getting up and kind of jumping into the day. And then you get to like two, three in the afternoon and it just kind of goes down from there. But yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah. Well, I'll say you hit it well. I thought you were just energetic the whole time. So you played it off in the afternoons. <laughs> but we'll come full circle with, with Portland. Uh, so let's talk about your background. How did uh, Kid Thomas get to the College of Pharmacy at Oregon State University? Yeah, I um, I didn't intend to really jump into higher education. Um, I was born and raised in Ontario, Canada. We moved to Nebraska when I was 13. Um, and I went to high school in Nebraska and then did my undergrad um, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in um, secondary language arts education. Um, 
so seven through 12. And, and then I, I jumped into working as a teacher and, and, and as you mentioned, as a speech coach at Lincoln Northeast high school in Lincoln, Nebraska, a uh, clever name. And I, I didn't intend to go into higher education. I, I wanted to teach, you know, Shakespeare and oral calm uh, basically until I retired. And, but I, um, I had a student in one of my oral calm classes, uh, my second year of teaching. Uh, he went by Mo. He was a, a refugee from Iran. And he came up to me after class one day and said that he wanted assistance uh, with an application to work part-time at a library for language acquisition, basically. And and so I, I met with him during both my plan periods for like the next three days, filling out the application, uh, helping him revise his cover letter and his resume. And um, after that, I was like, oh, oh, no, I think I I think I want to advise students full time. And so um, I applied for an online master's program through the University of Nebraska Kearney um, and their program kind of focuses on counseling technique and is housed out of their, um, psych department. And, um, so I, I worked full time and coached full time and, uh, completed my master's while I was teaching. And, um, and then, yeah, we moved to Oregon. My husband got a job at Linfield university in housing. So I was like, I guess I'll do my internship at Linfield because I live there now. And, um, I, I taught half time while I, uh, interned and, and then that led to a position in higher ed and, and then that fall I, I joined the caught up. So that's, that's what happened. Um, and I, I transitioned into my role at OSU in January. And so, yeah, it's interesting being, uh, an advisor for something that has to do with the hard sciences where my background is. Shakespeare, basically. <laughs> but you make it work. Yeah, that's great. So you're fairly new um, at OSU. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just jumping right in uh, doing this. And, you know, we've had uh, previous podcast guests. So Nicole Kent and Carrie Kincannon, who are also on the planning committee and both from, from OSU. And, you know, I think it's always interesting hearing how everyone describes their institution. So, like, how would you describe uh, Oregon State? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I've only been here since January, but, um, I think I'm, I'm pretty lucky in the sense that even though Oregon state's a, a pretty large public institution, the college of pharmacy is like the tiniest sliver of that kind of bigger system. Um, I only advise, uh, we have caps on our, um, on our cohort, and it's only like 90 students. So at most I'll, I'll ever have 180 students that I advise, but in total, I think we have around 400 ish students in the college. And, and so I, I'd say it's, we have the opportunity to be, you know, really do a lot of stuff in house and be really innovative with how we do advising and, and things like that. Um, but as far as Oregon state as a whole, I think they're pretty, receptive and, and willing to try a bunch of different things and see what works. We have a brand new president that started this fall term and I'm really excited to see what she does. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of describe their institution as this like archaic 
bureaucratic system that, you know, doesn't work for the people kind of thing. Um, and I don't necessarily feel that way at, at Oregon State, which is, I, I think, really refreshing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, that's, yeah, that's a great, great way to put it. Um, because you, you've done the teaching, do you think that's something you, you may include at some point as well and do advising and maybe teach classes at some point? Uh, yeah, I, I'm currently, um, I'm sitting in this year, um, because I, I had honeymoon, which made it impossible to actually, um, help out this fall term with this class, but, um, we have a professional development, um, course that we teach at Oregon state for our first year pharmacy students. And, and so I'm, I'm helping out with those, with those classes, um, and we're hoping to add like a professional communication course. Um, one of the courses that I taught most often in high school was oral comm. So just kind of tips and tools for, for interviews and patient care and how to approach um, counseling patients and, and things like that on medication and stuff. So um, not necessarily something I'm an expert in, but um, the the communication side, I'm happy to help with. So yeah, I'm excited yeah. to be doing and, that. Yeah. And how would you describe your, your role as a student success and engagement academic advisor? What does that all entail? Yeah, I think it's slightly different from maybe what would be considered traditional advising, at least from an academic side. Uh, my caseload um, is, is a lot smaller, but uh, we're also very structured in what we do uh, within the coursework. And so students only get three elective choices in their whole four years in our program. So they have a list that they pick and choose from and they pick their turn that they want to take that elective. So I'm not prescribing or, or helping or brainstorming or, or sending out codes for students to register for classes. Um, so we get to spend a lot of time doing professional development advising. Mm -hmm. So for, for the first year students, we do a lot of, um, strengths finders and strength building these Clifton strengths for, um, kind of assessing that and during what we call like zero week advising. So right after orientation, we split up the cohort amongst the, um, success student success team and we have the students take a four tendencies quiz um, which has to do with expectations and so we we get to meet the students and kind of do a first step of you know how do you approach expectations going into fall term how does that apply outside of school to um, kind of provide some resources preemptively um, before they kind of jump into everything and then, um, yeah, as a P2, we do um, kind of goal-specific um, advising appointments is what I'm doing right now with, with our P2 students. And, yeah, it's, so it's, it's not so much of the what do I need to take as much of it as how do I be a good pharmacist kind of thing. And when you say P2, like, what is that? Uh, yeah. P2s or P and then a number after it is professional student year. And then the number is what year they are. So a P1 is a first year student and, and onward. 
Okay. And like with your program, like, is it cohort based or is it kind of, they, they kind of work it around their schedule? Oh, it's, it's cohorted full time, mm-hmm. uh, completely. Um, students have the opportunity to flex for, for one year, but it's kind of structured within four years. So, um, they, we have them, the cycle basically starts in the summer and our priority deadline is, has passed now. November 1st was our priority deadline, but we take students all the way up through June of next year for the following cohort. And we interview like a hundred and um, maybe more than a hundred students and then send out acceptance. And we only take 90, but yeah, it's, we're not filling all 90 slots right now. Right. And I guess for those that might be interested, like, uh, so these students that, that are applying, what's part of the, like the application process for them? Yeah, we use a holistic process um, at OSU. So they fill out their application in, in what's referred to as farm CAS. Um, and they, CAS is the system that kind of does a lot of hard sciences. So nursing CAS and et cetera. But uh, they fill out that and then they apply to the schools that they're most interested in. Um, they have to compile um, their GPAs and, and transcripts and um, they have to get letters of recommendation for, for each school that they apply to. And, um, and then we assess their applications based on essays that they write within FarmCast. And um, I'm also on the um, admissions committee. So um, I get to evaluate all of their files, which is a blast. But um, grades is only one small aspect we, we assess their writing and we assess their story and their background and interest in pharmacy and um, their volunteer and pharmacy experience or, or research or medical um, field experience. And from there, we, we determine whether or not they're a good candidate to interview. And then their interviews are kind of done threefold. So they meet with four different faculty members that ask them, different scenario-based questions about what a competent pharmacist might do to approach um, a certain situation. Um, and then our student ambassadors do a Q&A session with them to kind of talk about the school. And then they also do a group activity with other applicants with um, another set of, of uh, student ambassadors to kind of talk about how they would approach um, a certain situation. And then and then we meet afterward, and if they're an auto admit, they you know they met a GPA requirement and got good interview scores, and and then we're say please come here, and then um, any students that you know maybe struggled in interviews or maybe doesn't have the the GPA requirement, we meet and and vote on um, whom we accept kind of from there. So yeah, definitely like you just said at the beginning, like very holistic, yeah, <laughs> in, in how you're looking at it and accepting students. Now, let's say like you have like a, let's say an undergrad advisor, they're meeting with, with the student and that student mentions that they're interested in pharmacy. Any advice to that advisor of how to assist that student um, with questions or how to navigate them to the proper person? Yeah, um, uh, my biggest recommendation is um, that we, uh, at least with the College of Science here at OSU, we have a, a good connection and thread with our uh, recruitment and retention coordinator with the with that school, and we also have um, experiential staff that are actually pharmacists that work for the College of Pharmacy in, in um, 
are with OSU basically that go into kind of those introductory um, science courses to talk about what pharmacy is and, and things like that. So we have an early assurance program at OSU um, that isn't just exclusive to OSU. Um, it can kind of be uh, on a broader scale uh, and you get connected. And, and if you kind of follow and, and meet the requirements of the early assurance program, uh, you basically get a um, an interview spot, which is pretty exciting aspect. And we have pre-pharmacy clubs and things like that on, on campus to um, connect people. And so if a student's meeting with their advisor and they're interested in pharmacy, um, biohealth sciences is kind of the, the feeder major in um, into pharmacy school. And so a lot of those advisors kind of have that in back of house ready to be like, oh, you might be interested in pharmacy. And so let's, let's transition to more of you in terms of outside of OSU. You know, we were talking about uh, the Portland Conference um, and then in your bio, it talks about, you know, other things that you've been part of with Nakata. So can you talk more about your, your Nakata experience? Yeah, um, it's, it's been really a warm welcome for being kind of a newbie. I haven't quite reached three, three years yet as, um, as an advisor, at least professionally, um, but I, I really wanted to get involved. I, I started my first day of advising professionally was, um, I think mid April of 2020. So just after the two week pause, um, and, and yeah, I didn't, aside from the people that I worked with, I didn't, I didn't have any professional relationships with other advisors. I didn't know what other people were doing at different institutions, Linfield is a small um, private liberal arts university. And so um, I didn't know what advising looked like on a bigger scale or, or in different, what we would call units um, within different colleges at public institutions. But, but yeah, I, I wanted, I also wanted to, I don't know, get connected with um, different programs and kind of low stakes things to, to get involved and, um, when I was a teacher, I loved being involved with the, the teaching um, associations that I was a part of as well. And I'm an extrovert, so I love people, but I just needed to be around people. Yeah. So, I mean, when, like when you started, it was like right when the pandemic, you know, hit, you know, and then, you know, I guess in a way kind of still considered a a new to semi-seasoned uh, advisor at this point. Um, when we kind of look at the number of years that so far that you've been doing advising, um, although it seems like, you know, part of it has been unofficial advising as well with, with some students too. Like when, when you were a teacher, how have you seen like ad advising change, at least in the time that, that you've been in it from the start of the pandemic to, yeah. to now? Oh boy. Um, I think that, the term that everyone loves to hate is hybrid. Maybe I think we went from exclusive <laughs> online advising when I first started uh, to preface at Linfield. I was also the online advisor. So almost all of my students met with me virtually because they weren't in McMinnville. They were everywhere else. So that wasn't too much of a, a shift for me, but in January, uh, winter term 2022, when I started at OSU, was our first full term back in person um, with an asterisk of, um, unless you have COVID, please don't come. Um, 
But when I first met with P2s, no, I met with first year students in that winter term, probably in February. And yeah, the first like 20 students I met with, it was all virtual. And then um, we were allowed to kind of meet in our office, but distanced with masks on. And, um, and now since then, that's kind of transitioned to um, come into my office because my door is open and I'm available. But I give all of my students the opportunity to meet with me virtually. Um, I actually have six appointments today and two of them have been online and uh, the next four will be in person. So um, I think providing that flexibility is really important for students and for professionals. Um, I have the opportunity to work for an institution that allows me to work from home when I choose to do so, so long as I'm available and I'm doing my work. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think I think institutions that have really struggled with that flexibility for students and for for professionals have probably seen more heartache and struggle than than ones that are willing to kind of be like, yes. COVID happened and, and now we have to adapt. And if we don't adapt, we'll lose students. <laughs> the direction we go into uh, flexibility and kind of pivoting at a moment's notice can be really daunting and, and hard. But I think in the long term, people are more appreciative of feeling listened to and that we tried something to adapt to people's needs and willing to try different things so yeah now uh, from your bio i'm very interested to know more about so within region eight for nakata you you're doing this uh, learning partnership yeah uh, tell us more about that yeah so i work with uh mike mclean at athabasca university in alberta canada he's the one of the alberta liaisons um, we both went through the learning partnership program uh last academic year and we were partnered together, I think, in part because we were both online advisors. Athabasca is an online exclusive institution. And so we got to know each other and um, talk a lot about, you know, how we've been approaching advising from kind of an online perspective, but still dealing with how uh, COVID kind of impacts the students we've worked with. And we got to know each other um, pretty well and uh, talk a lot about hockey, which is important um, as you know, Canadians are. <laughs> but um, when we both were elected as liaisons for this upcoming term, um, Shay, who was the um, region leader at the time, um, asked for people to get involved and, and kind of step up to do that. And we were the only two people who had done um, the program itself prior. And so we said we'd be willing to. And so now we have, um, I think it's nine pairs that are kind of all over North America in region eight that um, we just finished last week, our last welcome meeting. And so now we just kind of send them off and hope that they meet at least kind of on a regular basis. And then we'll, we'll check with them in January to see how things are going and um, do drop-in invites and all that fun stuff. But yeah, it's really just kind of a low stakes way of, you know, connecting and meeting with another person who 
is either in a different institution or situation or has common goals or interests and, um, and get to meet and connect and chat. Well, it seems like something that's really cool and hopefully it, it all works out. So best to, uh, best to both of you on, on this project and hopefully, yeah, that a lot of, a lot of people benefit from it and then you continue it and maybe it keeps growing. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, part of the Oregon Academic Advising Association, you're also the VP. So uh, talk about uh, OAAA and uh, what's your experience with that and what's, uh, what's the VP position? What do you do for that? Yeah, the, um, I got involved with OAAA shortly after I got involved with um, NACADA. Uh, they're a sister-affiliated um, association with, with NACADA. And at the time, uh, they were looking for people to, they were um, shifting up board members because terms had ended. And, and so I had um, nominated myself to be a communications coordinator uh, for the 21-22 year. And, and, I, and I got it. And uh, myself and uh, another individual did the communications for a while. And then in... Um, February of this year, so right after starting my new position, um, the VP at the time had to step back. Um, they had gotten a new role that was a little bit more demanding than um, they could do for OAAA. And so um, I took over that aspect. And the, the role mainly focused on coordinating the virtual conference that we had in July. Um, and so basically doing the evaluations co-chairing and coordinating the programming. And so luckily I was already doing some eval stuff for, for the annual conference uh, that just happened. And so um, I basically got to do a little bit of everyone's co-chairing just on a, on a smaller scale. So it was, it was a real enjoyable experience. And, um, and from the evaluations that, I analyzed. Uh, it seemed like people got a lot out of it. So yeah, good. Yeah, and let's talk about that. I mean, because you're talking about you're doing a little bit of everything. Like let's say at this conference, um, you know, with OAAA, with with Nakata for the Planning Committee. Yeah. But then also, you also have to be an attendee as well. You know. Um, so talk about that experience, being able to actually navigate all that, balance all that. Because I think some people listening might be like, I how. How was how's Thomas doing that? Like I just get exhausted just being an attendee at a conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as being just an attendee, I think um, advice I provide is just focus on attending sessions that you want to attend and or ones that you think would be most beneficial for you, but not going to every single session. I think people, in order to get their money's worth, focus on trying to go to every single session when really you might need time to reflect after a lot of significant sessions that you that you attend and you know really do that that internal work trying to sort out what is it that that really impacted you know my my advising or, or myself as a person and um and as far as being an attendee and also um, helping coordinate, I think it was structuring time in, you know, working, working the desk, uh, but also 
structuring out time to actually look at the schedule and see exactly what I wanted to see. So I could go out, see what I wanted to see, and then pop back to the evaluations desk and, you know, do some running around and head counts and, and all of that. I like, I like being busy and juggling a lot of stuff. I think I, I find a lot of value and fulfillment in doing those kinds of things. So that's what I recommend for someone who, who likes to do that kind of stuff. Um, but you might need to, especially for the introverts out there, you might need to kind of pull back and find a nice quiet corner to just <laughs> reflect after, you know, a session or two. So, you know, yeah. do what works for you. Yeah. yeah. That would be me right there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, session wise, like um, any sessions that you went to that uh, you want to highlight or that, that you got the most out of? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I had to go back through to, to review everything. All of the sessions I went to were super great. Um, to, I'll just highlight two of them though. Uh, the first one that I, I went to that I really, really enjoyed was called Queering Advising, How to Apply Intersectionality and Queer Theory to Your Practice, um, which I didn't just read off of, off of my screen either. I, I definitely memorized that. <laughs> um, but it was so great to apply um, the theory from the Advising LGBTQ Students book that was published by Nakata recently. And I have it in my office, but haven't picked it up yet. And so they really kind of went through two chapters about kind of intersectionality theory and that, how that applies to beyond um, LGBTQIA plus students, because intersectionality kind of implies holistic advising and, and knowing your students on more than just a student level. And, and so they, they focused on two specific chapters and, and how that applies to the student experience. And, and I found a lot of value in that. Um, and the other one was, uh, I went to your session that you, you co-presented the unlocking the student experience, humanizing the um, educational environment of AAPI students and, I, I just really love the application of culture care theory. Um, and I, I know that the background was specifically with nursing students, but um, I found a lot of value in that too, because um, I work with hard science students and um, a significant number of my students are AAPI. And so I'll take any tips and tricks on how to support a major population of my students. And I loved um how you intrinsically, how do I put this the best way? Intrinsic, extrinsically motivated your audience to participate, um, <laughs> perhaps with uh, prizes or coffee. Um, and that's just a great teaching tool. I mean, I don't know how many times I had a bucket of candy and I'm throwing Tootsie Rolls at students being like, you participated, here's some extrinsic yeah. motivation. Um, people love candy, why not? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. And that might be for the next time. Bring some candy, especially with long days at these conferences. You need that sugar. You need that energy. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, shout out to Maria Domingo, uh, who led that session and um, was the one who found that cultural care theory and was like, hey, we could use this, incorporate it in. I'm like, all right, I'm here for the ride. Let's do it. So great. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I think people listening, you have, especially like me as an introvert, like when I started in advising and was an Akata member, I was one of like, let me kind of step back, get the lay of the land, see what's going on. And for you, like it was like jumped right in, you mm -hmm. know. Um, 
So any advice that you might have, like from your experience so far, because you're doing things with OAAA, doing things with ACADA, you've been part of the annual conference, you know, doing things mm-hmm. with Region 8. Um, so kind of like, I think from what you're saying, that as a conference attendee could relate to being, uh, you know, jumping into Nakata and, and yeah. professional development, like you don't have to do everything. No. Uh, but from your experience, any advice that you have for anyone that's like, well, I, I want to get more involved? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. Um, I think there's a lot of low stakes way that, you know, doesn't require you to like nominate yourself for something or ask someone to nominate you to do something. I mean, um, submit a proposal. I, the first thing I did to try to get involved with Nakata was our, our advising department while I interned put me in charge of submitting a proposal for presentation for the 2020 region eight, um, conference which I was not prepared for. We did not get accepted, uh, but it was a great experience. Um, and then that conference never happened. So it was almost like uh, no one got their proposal accepted. Um, so it made me feel less bad. Uh, but um, I mean, volunteering at conference just to do headcounts um, for evaluations, which is so important. Um, or uh, volunteering to read proposals. Everyone's always looking for people to read proposals. Um, and just reading the email and checking to see. Um, I think getting involved with advising communities is also great. We get four. Um, I'm part of the LGBTQIA plus um, advising community, which um, is super great. It sounds like we're, we're really about to kind of springboard off into um, some really awesome things that I'm looking forward to. But um, another great way is to talk to your Oregon liaison, if you're in Oregon, um, or your region rep, and we'll find something. That, that's the one great thing about advising is um, if we don't have an answer for you, we'll connect you with someone who does have an answer. And so that's the best thing about, about that. If you ask a question, we'll find the answer, and it might not be the answer you wanted, uh, but we'll get it, and, and you will get involved. So um, I think it's just the first step is, is admitting that you want to help. And if you do want to help, getting connected. Yeah. And just like you were saying earlier about like emails, I mean, okay, so I know anyone listening, you probably get a ton of emails, uh, especially if you're a Nakata member, but look through those because sometimes they will put a whole bunch of different things in one email and you just got to, you know, I know there's the the news term of burying the lead, but, you know, read through everything because there's probably plenty of opportunities in there. Um, and like you're kind of saying some low stakes one where it's like, hey, I could just help out mm-hmm. for a few hours and and I can that could be some of my professional development yeah. right there. But all the things that you might nominate yourself for or be nominated for. But uh, yeah, always ask whether it's in an email, you find someone at a conference um, and then, yes, we will find something for you to do. Absolutely. Oh, we will. Yeah. Uh, Passive and active um, involvement, I think, are are both, you know, hold value to to people, too. So if you don't want to be, you know a leader of something that's totally fine Um, by you being there and interacting with sessions or by attending conferences or by going to webinars that we offer, or uh, we do uh, regionate talks, um, which are just kind of low stakes conversations about monthly topics. I mean, those are all, those are all ways that you're involving and, and kind of growing your profession and and your identity as an advisor and those are equally as valuable as, you know, holding a position 
um, do what works for you. Absolutely, 100%. And then last question uh, before we end and wrap up. How's it uh, settling in into the new home and how's the the cat and dog doing? Oh, well, wouldn't you like to know? Uh, <laughs> they they love it. We um like I was saying my husband worked in housing for years. I had I had lived in an apartment. I was teaching and thriving. I met my husband who was living um at Doan University on campus in housing. And so when we moved in together I had to move back into the dorms, basically. Um, and we continued to live in the dorms for four, four and a half years uh, together. We were still living in the dorms when we got married. Um, and we only just purchased our house in, gosh, end of January of this year. So, yeah, we both we both transitioned out of our, our roles previously. We had our one-year anniversary reception. Um, transitioned into new positions and then also bought a house at the same time. I guess I do all or nothing at, at one time. So um, wasn't stressful, highly recommend it, 10 out of 10. Um, but yeah, we've been in the house and for a couple of months now and it's been great to kind of, I mean, feels like Virginia Woolf, a room of one's own kind of thing. We, we're not surrounded by students, which we love. We love students. I just don't always want to live with them. Um, I don't always want to hear them all, all the time. But um, we have a little backyard and our, our dog, Spud, uh, loves to play fetch. But he only, so he only plays fetch when we like close the patio door. So we have to throw, we have to throw the Frisbee while we're still inside, basically. And then close the door so he brings it back to us. We won't do it when we're outside. So, yeah, our cat is more of like a roommate. So she just kind of follows us and doesn't pay rent, but that's okay. Yeah. We love her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a cat. They're so cute, you know? So let that slide. Yeah. We're hoping maybe to host Thanksgiving this year uh, at our house because um, we have a new table coming in. We, like I was saying earlier, we were nerds. And so we bought a, a gaming table that has like, it looks really formal and nice. It has like slats on the top and, and you know, beautiful leaves. Um, and then you, you take the slats off and it's got this like inlay of, of felt and you can play games and stuff in it. And, and we're really looking forward to that. Hopefully it gets here by Thanksgiving. We've been waiting years Ooh. for it. But I don't know if it's going to come in. No promises. Oh, fingers crossed on that. <laughs> we'll see. But on that note, we've ended this episode and this interview. But Thomas, thanks so much for being on the podcast and uh, sharing your stories and uh, just being part of this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for being an awesome human person. <laughs> Thomas, thanks for a fun and enlightening conversation about working with pharmacy students and also your involvement in advising organizations and conferences. It was a pleasure getting to work with you on the Portland Conference Planning Committee. And we've yet again reached the end of another episode of the podcast. And just to add, I did not pay Christy or Thomas to shout out the conference presentation that Marie and I did in Portland. Uh, Both Marie and I are grateful for the opportunity to present. And thank you, Christy and Thomas, for getting something out of that presentation. Appreciate it. 
If you don't already subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media at Advising Podcast. Take care. Be back for episode 72. And as always, keep advising. Oh,